You are listening to the Living Way Church podcast. For more information about Living Way Church, go to livingwaychurch.cc. All right, we are about to wrap up a series on uh, the minor prophets. Uh, these guys aren't minor importance, but they're just minor in that they're small. Most of these prophets, they're books in the Bible. There's 12 of them, and uh, they're tiny. Some of them, one of them's 21 verses. Most of them are uh, two chapters. This one today we're going to look at is a uh, you can read in about eight minutes, maybe 10 minutes, but it is so powerful and so important that I can't wait to dive into it. Now, if you've ever had any parents that have ever had to discipline a child, raise your hand if you've ever had to discipline your child. Some of you, if you have a dog, have you ever had to discipline your dog? All right, that's some of you. All right, have you ever had to discipline your hamster or gerbil? The only discipline you can give them is to kill them, by the way. <laughs> bad hamster, bad. It just doesn't work. Uh, well, you know, when you're a parent and you discipline your child, if you, if you spank or if you ground them or something, there's the meltdown. And then after the meltdown, after the storm, they calm down. Tears are streaming down their face. They're a broken spirit. They're ready to hear. And it's the cool down talk, right? It's the, the, the talk, the follow-up talk. So if you're a parent and you discipline, the most powerful time to talk to them is going to be after the cool-down time. Now, what we're going to, because what happens there is they're, they're humbled, their heart is open, and they're exhausted. So they're probably not going to fight or resist as much. And, but this is exactly where we are in the story today. Here's the background of the minor prophets and where we've been this summer. We, we've spent the summer going through the minors and uh, uh, I love these guys. Uh, it's been pretty powerful for me. So um, here's the background check. The kingdom that God set in place and he gave uh, them great kings like, like David and Solomon and uh, Saul was one of those that started off great, ended up bad. Uh, well, the king divided into two kingdoms. They had a civil war and eventually they both fell apart And by 587 BC, Babylon had come in, leveled the last of what was left of that kingdom, leveled and destroyed uh, Jerusalem and their temple. And uh, the place that Solomon built, that that holy temple of the Lord was destroyed and taken out. And the people that lived there were carried off as exiles and slaves into distant lands. Uh, you can read those stories in Second Kings, Second Chronicles, Lamentations, and the book of Jeremiah. And uh, the minor prophets are the stories or the events or the people that God spent to talk to them during this roller coaster journey of theirs. In fact, maybe you've heard of Daniel in the lion's den or, or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These are stories that happened while they were in exile in Babylon, while they were cast out of the kingdom, while they were not living in their homeland. This is those stories, and those are found in the book of Daniel, and you can find those in Ezekiel. So it was basically a time of crisis. And the first crisis was the Assyrian crisis. Israel was leveled, and Assyria was in control. The second crisis was just as bad. Judah was leveled and Babylon was in control. And now a change of events. There's a third crisis, a nation uh, led by uh, King Cyrus of Persia. Persia came in, leveled out Babylon, and now Persia is in control. Now in crisis one, Israel was uh, leveled. In crisis two, Judah was leveled. And in crisis three, their faith was leveled. At this point, they began to blend with the cultures to the point that they began to look just like the Persians. They began to even adopt the religion of the Persians. They began to mix their faith in God with some of the cultic and background religions of Babylon and Persia and Assyria. In fact, if you've ever heard of the, of the teachings of the Kabbalah, that's what that is. It's a, it's a, basically a perversion of the law of God mixed with the Babylonian and Persian occultic belief. It is not a godly belief system. It is a perversion of the Bible because of their captivity. Persia conquered Babylon. And after a while, the Jewish people petitioned the king, King Cyrus, for the opportunity to go back to their homeland and to build their temple and to live at least in their homeland. So King Cyrus gave them permission to go back to their homeland and to live and to build a temple. 
Now, after Cyrus, there was a king named Darius. And what happened is they went back. They started to build the kingdom. 70 years of exile, a generation that had they had basically turned from God and was confused about who they are in God, began to slowly make their way back to the place that was their homeland. Only 50,000 people went back with them. You can find that story in the books of Nehemiah and Ezra. They were allowed to return, but now they face a fourth crisis, a new crisis. And this is an identity crisis. What happened here is basically they got there and they're like, who are we anymore? What, did, what is our faith anymore? What do we believe? God, for 70 years, the enemy was in control of our life. And they began to think, God, do you still have a plan for us? God, are, are you stronger? Is Yahweh stronger as God of the Bible? Is he stronger than the so-called gods of the Babylonians and Persians? Because they overtook us. So God, we have questions. Are you still there? Are you still strong? They started to to get confused. They began to adopt their customs. They began to marry the people from those other cultures and and religions. And they had a forgotten faith. And and they, they they had a terrible, painful loss of identity. They got there and they started to build this temple. But after two years, they they quit. They just stopped. They got tired. They got distracted. Two years later, God shows up with another prophet to get them back on track. 14 years of neglect. During this identity crisis, two prophets emerge. Haggai and Zechariah, the last two prophets that we're going to look at. And they're both speaking at the exact same time. They were probably friends because they were in a small community speaking. That's the background. Let's jump in. Haggai gives them four messages over the course of about four months. The Bible's pretty clear. It gives us exact dates, so we know exactly when these happened. The first one was in August of 520 B.C. In fact, we know it was August 29th. Here's what it says. Haggai 1, verse 1, it says, In the second year of King Darius, that's when we know it's 520, on the first day of the sixth month, that is actually for us, August 29th. He says, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel. By by the way, Zerubbabel has got to be the coolest name in the whole Bible, right? So if you're like thinking of a name to call your son or dog, um, Zerubbabel has got to be the coolest name ever because then you can just call him Z and that is like, that's super cool. We got got a Z in the youth group. I think that is like one of the coolest nicknames. So uh, Zerubbabel, the son of Shelatiel, uh was made governor of Judah. So basically, he was not a king. He was set in by Persia to be a governor. Remember, Judah, this area, Israel, this place where they went back to, their homeland was still under the control of Persia. And Persia set in a governor and said, all right, we'll let you go back home. We'll, we'll give you a governor and uh, you can rebuild your temple. And as long as you submit and pay taxes and look to us uh, as your provider. Now, interestingly enough, um, God intervened. Uh, so you have governor, uh, governor uh, Zerubbabel and Joshua, who's the high priest. By the way, the word Joshua, there's the same word Yeshua, which is the name of Jesus, which is pretty cool. So their, their first priest back home was a guy named Jesus or Yeshua. Um, so they have a new high priest, a new governor, set in by Persia, allowed to rebuild the temple, then all quiet. They did nothing, 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 nothing. For 11 years, they sat there and did nothing. And then God shows up, Haggai shows up, August 29th, 520 BC. This is what the Lord Almighty says. By the way, every time it talks about God, it says, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Some translations say the Lord of hosts or the Lord of heaven's army or the commander of all. Basically, every time God speaks, God is saying, I am God who is completely and totally in command and in control. Don't be misled by your circumstance. I am in control and I'm speaking to you. So this is what he says. The Lord Almighty says, these people, he says, that they're telling me, God hears the people telling. He says, these people say, the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. So 70 years of exile, 
waiting and praying for this. Through a miracle of God, they're allowed to go back to their homeland. God opens up doors and they say, what? They say, God, we're just not ready. They say, God, we're not ready. It's not time. It's not time. I've been through so much. I've got other things on my mind. Uh, I don't know if we can do this. God, it's too difficult. It's just not time yet. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. This is what God is saying. It is time for you. It is time for you yourselves. But he says, it is time for you to be living in paneled houses while this house remains in room. So he says, what you're saying, it's not time to build the house of God, but it's time to upgrade your home. It's paneled houses, but basically wood panel planks. It's a, it was considered a luxury. So God is saying, now the temple that you started is now, it's a, it's a, it's a rock pile anyhow, because it was destroyed 70 years ago. So now you start and you left it in decay. And, and you're saying it's not time, but it's time for you to spend money on yourself. It's time, huh? They were putting God's work aside and pursuing their own desires. It's a double standard we still hear today. You know, a lot of us say, well, you know, it's just not time for me to do what God says. It's just not time for me to step out. It's just not time for me to serve. It's just not time for me to give. It's just not time for me to get right with God. It's just not time. Let me ask you something. Did God tell you to watch TV last night? But you did it anyways. Did did God tell you to brush your teeth this morning? Somebody, he should have. I just... But you did because you wanted to. Now, God didn't say get up and go to work. Some of you, 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 you wanted to. You got up and went. God didn't say go on a vacation, though some of you are waiting for that voice too. Funny, if it's stuff that we want to do, we don't need to hear God. But if it's to serve him, we need a voice from heaven and lightning bolts coming out of the sky. God, make yourself known. God, you're telling me God says, you're telling me that whatever my kingdom is about should follow whatever your kingdom is about. This is about misplaced priorities. This is what Haggai is all about. This is a great time to hit this book because we're heading back into school. We're going to be crowded by so many activities, schools, sports, uh, classes, uh, clubs, you know, whatever. You're, you're going to just be crowded. And, and God is speaking to you today. He's saying, prioritize Listen to my voice and, and listen to God's word on this. I want you to write this down. Is it when you don't know who you are, they had an identity crisis. When you don't know who you are in God and in Christ, it leads to misplaced priorities. Not knowing who you are and who you're called to be will leave you chasing anything that makes you happy. And that's kind of where we live our lives a lot of time. Haggai is a challenge to literally put the house of God before your house, the kingdom of God before your kingdom. Now, some of you, you're like, I don't like where this is headed. Matthew 6, 33 says, but seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and all these other things, all the things you worry about, all the things you pursue, all the things you want to do, all the things you want to achieve, all those dreams. He says, if you'll seek God and his kingdom, if you'll seek the righteousness of God in his kingdom first, all these other things, they'll be taken care of. They'll be added unto you. They'll be taken care of. And that was the problem with the time there. They were saying, God, I'm pursuing my dreams, my vision, my kingdom, and I'm putting your kingdom on hold. Let me put it to you this way. This is an action figure. It's Boba Fett. 1980 original. This is, I climbed up in my attic and got him out today. Boba Fett, let's just imagine that I was able to create a human being. Let's just imagine that, that I'm, I'm going to imagine that I'm like God. And I create a human being. And I create a human being. And I, and I breathe life into this being. Yay. And it becomes a living creature because the creator gave, uh, gave it life. Now, now, what would it be like? I have power over all things. And, and this little guy has only the power that I give him and only the life 
that I give him, what would it be like if this guy decided, you know what, I'm going to do my own thing? Would you say there is a pretty big gap between me and this action figure? Between the creator and the creator? Is there a pretty big difference between him and me? Not just size, but in principle as well. He fell over. In principle as well, he and I are not even on the same existence of understanding and ability and power. But what we tend to do is here's what we do. We go, God, I'm going to do my own thing and I'm going to build my own life and I'm going to build my own kingdom. God, here's, here's a, here's a couple of bucks for your kingdom. God, here's 15 minutes of time for your kingdom and for you, and uh, I'm going to do my own thing. Now, is there a degree of separation between the concept of this? This created being has no understanding of who his creator is, if that is his perspective. If he doesn't know who he is, if he doesn't understand who his creator is, if he doesn't understand why he was given life and breath, that will be the actions and the attitude that he has for his life. I'm doing my own thing. But think about it. The gap is so huge, it does not make sense for any one of us to treat our creator like that. But that's exactly what they were doing. It's exactly what we do. And here's the key to Haggai, is you're going to find that it's learning to say no and learning to say yes to the right things. And this is where some of you fail. Let me give you an example. Uh, when I go to Sam's, I have to learn to say no, right? You go to Sam's, you're, you go into Sam's to buy like some paper towels or something. Next thing you know, you got a cart full of electronics and movies and food and pizzas and, and office supplies. And you're like, what have I done? You got to go in with a purpose. You got to go in knowing when to say no when to say yes, the world demands our attention. The world is calling for us. It demands our attention. The world demands our money. Uh, it's why we get in debt. It's why we get stressed out. It's why we get overcommitted because we don't know how to say no and we don't know how to say yes to the right things because we don't know who we are in God because if we don't know who we are in God, we have misplaced priorities. And the problem is usually the first thing to go is God because he's not in our face, physically in our face saying, look to me, serve me, worship me, give your time, give your resources, give and watch me use you, bow down, submit to me. God's not in front of us physically saying that. So usually God's the first to go and we bow instead to our schedule, our events, our clubs, our education, our work, our job, our activities, our hobbies. Misplaced priorities because we don't understand who we are. Let me put it another way. I'm not very good at sharing meals. I don't share meals very well. Some couples, they go in and they're like, oh, we share meals. They go in, they split everything. Wow, I'm, I don't know how you do that because I, I, I really don't know how to do that. Um, Here's what would happen if I decided to split a meal with my wife and we did that. I would go, we would order, and I would say, honey, let me eat all that I want. And when I'm full, when I'm finished, you can have the rest. What do you think would happen? She would not get anything, right? Because that's kind of what we do. We're like, man, I want, I'm going to eat it all. And hey, you know, dessert too. And honey, when I'm finished with that, you can have the rest over as that. See, we do the same thing with God. We say, God, let me eat what I want. Let me take what I want. And God, if there's anything left, I'll give you whatever left of my time that I have. I'll give you whatever left of my resources that I have. I'll give you whatever left, whatever's left of my attention, I will give to you. And all of a sudden, we find we have nothing to give to God from our life. In reality, everyone has enough time to serve God, everyone has enough money to give to God, but we do that, but we can't do that and still get what we want. We, we can't do that and still live the lifestyle that we want. So we make a choice and the decision is, God, you're left 
short. That's what was happening in Haggai. The very core of Christianity is deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him. So Haggai, well, I spent a lot of time on that because that's the emphasis of chapter 1. Now we're going to fly through it. Haggai 1 verse 5 says, now this is what the Lord Almighty says. He says, you've got a problem with priorities. He says, give careful thought to your ways. Think about it. You've planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but you're never warm enough. You earn wages, but you put them in your pocket, and they have holes in them. You put them in your purse, and there's holes in them. No matter what you do, I want you to write this down. If our priorities are wrong, nothing will satisfy us. Some of you, you guys are on that, that little treadmill and you just can't figure out, God, man, I'm so, I'm so tired all the time. I'm so stressed out all the time. I, I feel like I never have enough money, enough time. God, I don't know what I'm doing. God says it's because you have misplaced priorities. You don't know who you are. You don't know who I've created you to be. You don't understand who I've designed and crafted you and how you should live. So you're stressed out. You never have enough. We pursue our job, our salary, our education, our accolades, our achievements, and no matter what, It's still never going to be enough. You're left empty. Verse 7, he says, this is what the Lord Almighty says. He says, give careful thought to your ways. Think about it. And then he says, verse 8, I love this verse. Now, go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build your house. Ted Blair translation would say, get off your butt, go up into the woods, cut down some trees and start building. So that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. Honor me and watch what happens. Verse 9, he says, you expect much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home blew away. Why? Declares the Lord Almighty. Remember the guy who's always in control. You can't seem to get ahead. You want to know why? Because of my house, which remains in ruin, while each of you is busy with your own house or your own life. He says, you want to know why things just can't seem to get together in your life? God says, because you're, you're seeking everything but the kingdom first. Verse 10, he says, therefore, because of the heavens, because of you, the heavens have withheld the dew on the earth and its crops. He says, because of your not seeking me first, your life is falling apart like your harvest is not growing. I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains and on the grain and the new wine and the olive oil and everything else the ground produces on people, on livestock and all the labor of your hands. This is all that trouble, all that trouble. God says, that was me. You try to do life apart from me, but it doesn't work. Let me put it this way. Let's just say you are, I know there's a little size difference here. But the only dolls that I had that could fit this car were naked. (laughs) Summer says she could find a Ken doll, but she's pretty sure he doesn't have any clothes on. All right, so let's just imagine... That you're, in, you're just going through life, man. You're like, you know what? Wow, he's in there. You're just going through life, man. You're just cruising through life. You don't understand who you are, but you kind of maybe wander into a church. Or you decide to pick up a Bible or you hear some guy speaking and you're like, you know what? That makes sense. I understand that God has a purpose and a design for my life. He crafted me for something unique. He designed me for something special. And, and uh, I want that. I want, I want that in my life. So what we do is we stop And we pop the trunk and we say, okay, God, hop in. Hop in the trunk because I'm going to take you wherever I want to go still. And I'm going to take you wherever I go. And and whenever trouble comes, oh, whenever I get a flat tire, I'll pop the trunk. God, you're back there anyways. Why don't you go grab that jack and fix my tire? Because what we don't want, we don't want a master in our life. We want a slave. We want God to ride around in the trunk of our life to solve our problems, to fix our issues while we are in control and in charge of our own destiny and direction. And then here comes the song, Will Jesus take the wheel? Right? Yes. Sounds just like that, doesn't it? I think it was in the wrong key, but I'm just saying. But here's the thing. We're still in the driver's seat. And we're like, all right, we might move God out of the trunk and we might put him in the seat next to us, right? But Jesus, I'm still going to take the wheel until trouble comes and then reach over and grab it a little bit. I'll let you have control of my life 
sort of, for a while until life is okay again, and then go back to your side because I'm in the driver's seat. You know what God says? He says, when you come to me, I don't want the wheel. I don't want the trunk. I want the keys. God says, you give me the keys to the car and I will lead and direct your life. And I will take you, if you will give me the keys to your life, if you will give me the power to live in your life, I will take you on an adventure and I will take you places you have never seen and never imagined. But you know what we think? We think, ah, God, that's cool. That's cool. Maybe when I'm older, maybe when I'm a senior and I have done all the wild stuff I wanted to do. Or maybe, you know, another time, God. Uh, It sounds good, but I'm just not ready for that. So what we do is we get in the vehicle of our life, we take the wheel, and the funny thing, here's the stupid thing about a lot of us, is we think we're in control. Because even though our hand's on the wheel, God Almighty is still in control. So we like, we take the wheel and go, here we go, and then God says, "Uh uh-uh, ah! There you go. Because, and that's exactly what happened in Haggai. God says, well, God, we're in control of our life. God says, nah, watch the rain. Uh, watch the storms. Watch you, those troubles with your pockets, that trouble with your money, that trouble with your crop, that, that you can't get your life figured out. You know why? That's me. You think you're in control? I am God Almighty. See, here's the deal. When you come to Jesus... You're not giving him control. You're acknowledging his control. And when you do, it goes well for you. When you give him control of your life, it goes well for you. And God will take you places you never dreamed. This is what's happening in Haggai. And some of you can't figure out why things aren't working. God says, well, you know what you need to do? You need to shut up. You need to climb that mountain. You need to start chopping down some trees. Put your kingdom aside and build mine, and maybe you'll see blessing again. That's what he says, verse 12 of chapter 1. He says, Then Zerubbabel, son of Shelatil, Joshua, son of Jozadak, uh, uh, yeah, you got it. The high priest and the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message of the prophet Haggai because their Lord their God had sent him. That's Haggai. And the people feared the Lord. They obeyed. They didn't set a start date. They didn't go, okay, God, we got you loud and clear. Great message. Great message, Haggai. Woo, convicting. When things get in line in my life, that's when I'm going to do that. Exactly what you said. They didn't set a start, a start date. They, they, they didn't um, make prerequisites. They didn't say, well, that is a great idea, but when things get worked out here, here, and here, I'm going to do exactly that. What they did is they feared God. They understood his power and his might, and they obeyed. They didn't have good intentions. They didn't go, whoa, heavy message. I'll think about that when I go back home and start nailing in my panels. They obeyed immediately. But you see, that's what we usually do. We set a start date, make prerequisites, have a good intention. I want you to write this down. God is not honored by good intentions. We all have them. He is honored by action. He is honored by our action. Some of you today are hearing this. You're like, wow, man, this is kind of heavy. The prophets, man, the minor prophets were like in your face all the time, every one. Some of you guys are like, man, that's why I don't read the Bible. Because it might change you. Some of you, it's time to listen and to act on this. Here's God's response. He says, you know what? Because you obeyed, verse 13, then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave the message of the Lord to his people. And this is what the Lord says. I am with you. I am with you. I don't know about you, but that's all I want in my life. To know God is with me. To know that God Almighty is with me. As long as God is with me, what else do I need to worry about? What else do I need? Jesus tells us the exact same words in Matthew. Matthew 28, 
uh, verse 18, Jesus came to them and he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age, until time is over. I will always be with you guys. Here's the deal. In the Old Testament, the mission of the kingdom was build the temple to be a light to the world. The message of the New Testament is you are the temple and now be a light to the world. The mission of the Old Testament was build the temple. The message of the New Testament is build the kingdom. Build the kingdom of God. A lot of churches will use Haggai to build a church building. This has nothing to do with a building fund to raise money so that you can build a bigger and a massive and elaborate and expensive church building. What this has to do is that God says, build the kingdom of God. Do the will of Jesus. Go to the world and make disciples. And if you do that, I'm with you. Guys, listen. The Bible says that God is omnipresent. That means he's present everywhere, all the time. You can't run from him. When you feel like you're going through hell, God is there. When you're on the mountain and you're in the valley, God is there. But we don't always feel him there. We don't always know he's there. The Bible says if you will give your life to him, if you will bow to the knee to Jesus Christ and you will acknowledge his control, then the Bible says if you will walk in his will, and if you will honor him, this omnipresent God makes himself known and it's called manifest presence of God. And all of a sudden, this God who is everywhere, who you wonder if he's even there, when you walk in his will, God shows up and says, yes, I'm there. Here I am. He shows his presence. I'm with you. Some of you, you can't feel God. You're not not hearing God. You feel so distant from God. Are you honoring God? Are you pursuing his kingdom? Are you doing what he's called you to do? Or are you building and pursuing your kingdom? Because when you pursue his kingdom, his response is, mm, I'm there. I'm there. You'll know I'm there. If you do what I tell you, you'll know that I'm with you. Jesus says, give me the keys. Let me lead your life. And I will always be with you. Haggai 1.14, he says, So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the high priest, and then the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. This is something that's got to begin with the leadership. And then he says, and they came and began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty, their God. Now we spend a lot of time on that first chapter because the entire first chapter is one big message of putting God first. The second chapter goes really quick, but we're going to hit it real fast, and it's three mini messages. This is what he says. The second message he gave two months later, on October, he says in Haggai 2.1, he says, on the 21st day of the seventh month, that's in October of the same year, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. He says, speak to Zerubbabel, the governor of Judah, to Joshua, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people, and ask them, who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? He goes, who of you is alive? By the way, they were in exile 70 years, and... Um, They had been in this land. Remember, they let it sit there for like 10 years. And then they were there building two years. So if someone was alive to see the former temple's glory, they would have been like 80 to 90 years old. So here comes Haggai. God wants to know, is there any old people here that remember what it used to look like? And out of the 50,000 people that went home, apparently there were a few. Because it says this. He says, how does it look to you now? How's it look? Does it not seem like to you nothing? He goes, it looks pretty bad, doesn't it? God says, I want you to everybody gather around the temple. How's it look? Well, it looks pretty bad. It looks pretty simple. I mean, the former temple was, man, was laced with gold and these massive pillars. It was, it was a wonder of the world. And now it's some sort of a temple shack. He says, it doesn't look like much, does it? But this is what God says, but now be strong, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, Joshua, the high priest. Be strong, all the people of the land, declares the Lord, and work. Keep going. Just go at it. Keep doing it. Get out there. Do it because I am with you. I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. This is what I coveted with you. 
This is what I promised from the very beginning, that when you came out of Egypt and my spirit remains among you, he says, do not fear. He says, here's the key. It may not look like much right now. You may feel inadequate. You may feel like you're not a whole lot of anything. Things may not look great in your family right now. That house of yours may look like it's in shambles. Your life, your spirit, your attitude, your bank account, whatever. God says, it may look pretty bad right now, but do not fear. I'm with you. He says, it may look bad now, but know that I'm with you. So I want you to hear this. If you do everything he asks, which they did and they obeyed, and you live for him your whole life, God promises God. The reward of those who follow him is himself. But the question is, is that enough? See, a lot of us, all right, God, all right, if I give my life to you, will you fix my family? Maybe. God, if I, if I bow down to you, if I honor you with my life, will you heal me of my sick body? Maybe. God, if I, if I turn my family around, God, will my kids get their act together? Will they come back? God, will my mom and dad come to know Jesus? God, if I, if I live for you, will my money work out? Will I have enough? And, you know, I got to tell you, I don't know, but I know one thing. God says, you'll have me. God says, you'll have me. And here's the deal. When you live and you give and you honor yourself to God, you may or may not get all the blessings that come with knowing Jesus, that he has the power to give you. Sometimes he does. Sometimes he doesn't. The reward is himself. He says, that's the covenant that I made with you. It's not a covenant that you would have all kinds of stuff. The covenant is I will be with you and you will know that my spirit is with you. But the question is, is that enough for you? It may not look like much now, but you haven't seen anything yet. Verse 6, chapter 2 says, this is what the Lord Almighty says, in a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. I will shake all the nations and it will be desired and uh, what is desired of all nations will come. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord. Now the desire of nations, Malachi 3 and Hebrews 12 tells us that the desire of nations is a reference to the Messiah. So he says, you know what? It may not look like much now, but the Messiah is coming still. And this house will be a place that will launch his life and his ministry in our life. Verse eight, he says, the silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord. I own all the resources to make it happen. He says, the glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place, I will grant peace, declares the Lord. He says, you ain't seen nothing yet. Both of these things happened 500 years after that. The temple doubled in size within 500 years, became one of the most admired wonders of the world. The temple size and grandeur was, it had, took up twice the amount of land that, that Solomon's temple did. And then Jesus, the desire of nations, walks into it and says, the Messiah has arrived. What they prophesied, what was prophesied by Haggai came true. I want you to write this down. This was the second message, is it? Not knowing who you are results in living in the past. See, they had a hard time understanding who they were in God. So all they could see is how shabby their life looked and how great it was in the past. Some of you guys, you can't get past the glory days of the past. You look at your life and you think, man, if I could just go back to where I live, to that neighborhood, to those friends, to that house, before the bankruptcy, before the troubles, before my divorce, before that event, before that relationship. Boy, if I could just go back. God says, don't fear. I'm with you. Don't be afraid. It may look hard and bleak, but don't fear. Move forward. I am with you. Guys, not knowing who you are results in living in the shadows of others. It will lead you to compare and wish you were somebody else and pretend that you're somebody that you're not and try to be someone else and have their life. And that's exactly what they were doing. They saw the temple and go, man, I wish it looked like the other people. They had a great, God says, no, no. What you have done is the beginning of something that's gonna be greater than you ever imagined. I want you to write this down. God can build a future on the rubble of your broken past. And it will be greater 
We are not to live in the past. We are to remember it. And we are to be thankful. But lift our eyes to a greater future. God says, it may not look like much now, but I am with you. It's going to be great. Third message is two months later in December. This is what he says in Haggai 2.10. He says, on the 24th day of the ninth month, that's in December of the same year, in the second year of Darius, uh, the word of the Lord again came to the prophet Haggai. Verse 11, he says, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Ask the priest what the law says. If someone carries consecrated meat, this is weird. So you got to follow this. If, if someone carries consecrated meat in the fold of his garment and that fold touches some bread or stew, some wine or olive oil or other food, does it make that bread consecrated? The priest answered, well, no. He says, does handling or hanging around something holy make something holy? The answer is no. Hanging around something holy does not make something holy. That's the point here. He goes, verse 13. He says, then, he says, if a person defiled by contact if a person is defiled by contact with a dead body, touches one of these things, one of these bread items or food or whatever, does it make it defiled? And the answer was, yes. The priest replied, it becomes defiled. So the question was, does hanging around something impure make you impure? Yes. Let me put it this way. Holiness is not contagious, but impurity is. He says, if you're sick, if you're a sick person, health-wise, if you're sick and you hang around someone who is well, who is healthy, will that make you healthy? No. But if you are healthy and you hang around somebody who is sick, will you become sick? Yes, you will. This is the concept here. He's saying, he's saying that hopeless or holiness is not contagious, but impurity is. Then verse 14, I'll explain this. He says, so it is with these people in this nation, in my sight declares the Lord, whatever you do and whatever they offer is defiled. Basically, God is saying this. You have gone the last 80 years serving false gods. You've gone the last 80 years bowing down to the gods of the Babylonians and to the Persians. And you have adopted into your life and into your culture a false view of life, of faith, and corrupted belief systems. And he says, and because you have not surrendered your life and your sin to me, because you are unclean, everything that you do is unclean. What? He says, everything you touch is unclean because you touched it. So he says, you need to take the mask off. I want you to write this down. Knowing who you are causes the mask to come off. You see, they were settling for what they could see, pretending that the land that they were living in could fix their heart. They were living a lie. They were wearing a mask that was a facade. But my wallet, my, my car, this chair, my shirt, uh, uh, this house, this building, things cannot fix the sin problem in my life. 70 years they focused to getting back to the Holy Land, but just because they're back into the Holy Land does not make them holy or fix anything. If the heart is wrong, you'll always be sick inside. That's the message of this portion. I want you to write this down. If you're living in sin, there's only one thing you can do that will please the Lord. Turn from your sin. It's the only thing. You get, some of you are like, well, maybe I can praise myself out of my sin. If I just come to church every single week and put on the show, I'll be all right. Nobody will know. If I just, if I give, man, nobody will know. If I, man, if I raise my hands and if I'm singing, if I'm shouting, whoa, whoa, you know, if I'm shouting, if I'm singing, nobody will know. If I volunteer, if I just help out, if I smile, if I do the right things, if I show up, it does not make you right. God wants your heart, then your action, because if your heart is evil, Haggai says, then the things that you do become unclean. Whoa, think about that for just a minute. That's why ministers should take great care and concern about who is in leadership or serving in their body. Because if someone's heart is not right, then their actions won't fix it, but they'll think they're fixed. They'll still be unclean. And when your life is in sin, the only thing that will honor God is to turn from your sin. So this was the declaration to the people. It's time to turn from your sin. In the next verses in 15 through 19, he basically says, I want you to remember this day. 
I, I want you to remember how far you've come. I want you to remember how you got here, and I want, to re- I want you to remember who brought you here, and I don't want you to go back to those old habits, or they will tear you apart, and you'll find yourself struggling again. Remember this day, and know who I am, and I am with you. And here's the last thing. Later that day, the Lord came to Haggai, and this is what Haggai said, but this time, it was not a word to the people. It was a word to one person, Zerubbabel. And this is what he says. Haggai 2.20, this is where it ends. He says, the word of the Lord came to Haggai a second time on the 24th day of the month. He said, tell Zerubbabel, the governor of Judah, that I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth and I will overturn royal thrones and shatter the power of the foreign kingdoms and I will overthrow chariots and their drivers. Horses and their riders will fall each by the sword of his brother. He says, listen, Zerubbabel, You are not a pawn of Persia. You are not insignificant. You are mine, and the superpowers have nothing on you. He says, Zerubbabel, Haggai, I want you to tell Zerubbabel that he is a man of God. He's been placed in a unique place of authority and leadership. And though he may be a governor and he may not be the king of their own nation, I'm still king of their life. I'm still ruler of this nation. I'm still ruler of this world. And you have nothing to fear but me. He says, if you will follow me, I will use you to great, great things. I want you to write this down. Knowing who you are shapes your steps and your purpose in life. See, if Zerubbabel had the mindset mindset of not knowing who he was in God, think about this. He might have said, well, I'm just a governor. I'm just a leader of this small group of people in this small city, just trying to make our way through life praying that we live to make it through another day and that one day the Persians will be nice to us and let more of our people come and that we'll give money to the Persians so they won't kill us and attack us and let their armies come in and make sure that they are keeping us safe from the Egyptians. We're, God, we'll just kind of do our best. We'll try to survive. No, God comes to Z and says, listen, Zerubbabel, you are important to me. You are significant. You're not a pawn to the Persians. I've called you. I've chosen you. I have anointed you. You are unique in my eyes because I have called you my own. And he says, and don't let your circumstance dictate who you are. Let who you are be shaped about who I say you are and you'll walk and you'll live and you'll know that you have a different purpose in your life. This is what he says. The very last verse is this. He says, on that day, declares the Lord Almighty, I will take you, Z, Zerubbabel, my servant Zerubbabel, son of Shatil, declares the Lord, and I will make you, I love this verse, I will make you like my signet ring. For I have chosen you, declares the Lord Almighty. That's how it ends it. Now, what is the signet ring? The signet ring was basically the seal of authority and power given to an individual by the king. For instance, the king might have his ring, and he would give the seal of authority, the signet ring, the very ring of power and authority, and that ring would have a seal on it. And that seal or that stamp or that um, insignia would be the very power and representation of whoever wore that ring had the power and authority of the king. No matter where he went in the kingdom, no matter where he went in the world, if he had the insignia ring, he could document and and empower authority legally in the name of the king by putting the seal of the ring on a document or just by simply showing the ring of his power and authority that was given to him by the king. Here's what God says to Z. Z, Zerubbabel, you are my signet ring. I have chosen you and you have been called to a unique purpose. Don't forget who you are. Don't forget who I've called you to be. Don't forget who I've designed and crafted you to reflect. You are my insignia ring. And I don't want you to worry about what other people think about you. And I want you to live for me. And I want you to set the example. I want you to set the mark. Can you do that? Can you be that kind of person? Even if no one else does. Even if no one will follow, will you be my ring? This is what God's word is to us today through Haggai. If you are a child of God, if you've bowed the knee to Jesus Christ, you've given your life to him, the Bible says you are chosen and called and you become his child. The Bible says in many ways we're given the seal or the insignia, the 
power of the Holy Spirit. So if you're a Christian, the insignia ring, the, the ring that you bear that, that, that shows who you are in Christ is the Holy Spirit in you. I want you to know something. In Christ, you are chosen. In Christ, you are unique. You have a purpose. You have a calling. And God says, you are mine. Are you in Christ? Zerubbabel, by the way, was the last person to stand in both family bloodlines of both Mary and Joseph. And through the life of Zerubbabel came the Messiah, Jesus Christ. You can find him in the book of Matthew and in Luke. I know God. I know who I am in Jesus. I know his life is powerful and this life is fleeting. And what I live for is greater than my life because I've given him the keys to my life. That's the challenge of Haggai, to build his kingdom, not yours. Let's pray. God, thank you so much, Lord, that you have given us a seal, a ring, a sign of authority and power in our life. If we are a child of God, that that symbol, that picture is the very real person of the Holy Spirit. It's your presence, your power in us. And Lord, wherever we walk, wherever we go, Lord, you are with us. We walk in your power. We walk in your authority. God, we are your child. God, I pray that you would help us to know who we are so that we don't have misplaced priorities. God, help us to know who we are so that we don't have misguided uh, direction and and hold on to the things of this life. God, let us know who we are so that we can remove the mask and lay ourselves bare before you and turn from our sin and know that you love us and will forgive us. God, let us know who we are in Christ as we walk this earth and declare your goodness. God, we've been given a mission, and that is to build your kingdom and to let your kingdom be known. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Thank you for listening to the Living Way Church podcast. If you enjoyed this message, we hope you come visit us in Garland, Texas. For directions and more information about the church, go to www.livingwaychurch.cc.